Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Downstage. I am Alejandra Enciso Dardashti. Hi, David. Hi, Alejandra. I'm David Cotton. We, this is the podcast of the San Diego Theater Critics Circle. And as we've done in past episodes, we're highlighting members of our organization. And today it is David Dixon. David, thanks for joining us. Thank you for letting me be here today. It's so fun to talk to both of you. It's always fun talking to both of you. Yeah. I know. Um, for people that don't know, um, it's great talking to David Dixon because we have two Davids today. So we're going to have to be like David Dixon, David Cotton, <laughs> because um, he knows every name, <laughs> every title in the industry. But the insights that he brings to the table is like, <laughs> It like uh, stimulates your brain. You know what I mean? So I'm happy that he's here with us finally. Thank you. You're, you're so kind. I, I try my best. I feel like, you know, I'm still, you know, 32. So there are a lot of other people that probably are way more experienced and way, know way more about theater, the ins and outs than I do. But I am extremely passionate about it. I always feel like I have been. Yeah. Oh, he's the youngest, by the way, the youngest member of the circle. I guess that's still, still true. Where did that passion come from, David? I feel like I've just enjoyed stories since I was really young, which is interesting because when I was little, I saw a few musicals, including Phantom of the Opera at Civic and also Showboat on Broadway. And for some reason, I mean, Phantom, maybe for obvious reasons, they both really freaked me out. But then, so I, I didn't walk out or anything. I still enjoyed those shows. But then afterwards, I just kept on coming back at and back and I just could not believe how moving and just powerful a great play or a musical can be. It just, so many of the best ones just leave me with just a wonderful feeling. Like I've just witnessed something unlike anything else. And I still feel that way with a lot of shows to this day. Mm -hmm. When did that um, uh, transition, let's say, to writing for theater and, and, and having this perspective? That's a good question. So when I was in middle school, I started writing for a a great section for the UT that no longer exists called a rated G, which is a family friendly section of the Union Tribune. And then since then, I've just been writing pretty regularly. I was the entertainment editor of the Daily Aztec. And then while I was at college, I started working for San Diego Story, the organization for, and I still do to this day with a couple of other theater critic circle members, including Cassiopeia Guthrie and a mentor of mine, Bill Eady. And I'd say ever since then to today, I've just always been 100% passionate about theater. And I still feel like, even though I love film and television, theater is just a little bit stronger because of the live experience and because you just get that rawness that you don't always get with other forms of entertainment. And I still feel that way completely today. When you see a show, uh, do you look for one particular aspect to, you know, think about and eventually write about, or does it depend on the show? I feel like in general, I try to have, a criteria of sorts. So I want to talk about the plot. I do want to talk about the cast and the crew and all the elements that they bring. I feel like something that could be a challenge, and this kind of ties into what you brought up, is I I actually really like all kinds of 
visual elements and audio elements. So that means if it's like huge to the story or if it's very subtle, sometimes when it's subtle, it can be very hard to talk about. Like if something's supposed to be supernaturalistic and realistic. So then that could be a little challenging when I try to find ways to still give credit to everyone and still cover it in an intelligent way. But I, I feel like all those elements I try to be pretty consistent with in all my articles. Hmm. Do you think that, because uh, we've discussed it with our other um, colleagues, theater critic members, that theater criticism is something that is important? And what does that mean to you? It really is. I still feel like that. And I would say, I know some other people, like you said, have covered this. And in ways, I have a similar answer where in articles can really just help theaters get the word out about a show. They can kind of, they can market different reviews. But at the same time, I like to think that a lot of people just randomly in San Diego can see a review of something, whether it's about a show that they've known about for years or something that they only heard about like this year. And then maybe the articles would inspire them to actually get a ticket and see the show. That's, I feel like a big goal of, of mine if possible. Oh my God, theaters is gonna be very happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> so David, even though you are only 32, I'd kill to be 32. <laughs> uh, again. That's a good age, um, that's a good age. You have written about theater for a long time, whether it was at San Diego State or for these various platforms you've done since you graduated. What are your impressions about how our theater community in San Diego has uh, evolved in the years since you started writing about it? It's really interesting because I feel like since even when I was a little kid, there are a few theaters that have been staples like the Old Globe and the Hoya Playhouse. And those theaters are still going pretty strong. And I feel like they've, when I do a lot of top 10 lists, you know, going forward, I'm sure a few of their shows will be there. I also do like when there are theaters that are fairly newer that are rising. I feel like there are a couple of companies in particular that not just for the last few years, but maybe over a period of a decade or longer, have just continued to grow and grow. One theater that I'm really impressed with, and the reason I'm saying this is partially because I'm going to see their show tonight is Loudbridge Theater Company. I'm Tonight, they're opening the show Zach, which I'm very excited for. It's written by Christian St. Croix, who I know has been involved with a lot of shows in the last few years, including Normal Heights, which won Best Play at the Fringe Festival this year. And just in 2023 alone, they've really done a mix of big shows as well as some short shows in San Diego and... This includes the Fringe Festival. This includes full-on productions. I'd say the show that I watched earlier this year from them, Ripped, mm -hmm. just still haunts me to this day because it was just such an intense experience. It was really well done. So I feel like they're, that's one of those theaters that everyone should really keep an eye on just because of how they've just gotten bigger and bigger. And I know a lot of other theaters are kind of trying to do the same thing. And I just hope that as great as the Old Globe and the Hoya Playhouse is, that all these other additional theater companies really get their shot. And I feel like some have and some still will in the future. Yeah, that's great. And it's true. Um, it, we also been talking about that. We, we, we talked with uh, our, in the previous episode with Kevin Laxboroughs that they have something to say. 
and being on stage is not enough anymore. So you, you, you create your own theater company, but that's, that's a scary move right now. Uh, the way everything is going in the, in the world is, is moving. I say that we have a generational gap going on right now where you, you know, the younger generations are coming into the workforce and that's kind of moving, moving everything along versus before that other generations were, would integrate. It would kind of go a little more smoothly. Now there's like a bunch of ripples and you don't know what to do or what works and what doesn't work. So yeah, props to, to them that open. Yeah. Loudfridge open sack this weekend. And David, uh, I, I want to get you out of here on this uh, because you are a relatively recent college graduate. I know it seems like a long time ago, perhaps, but you know, maybe you have a better finger on the pulse of the potentially young younger theater audience that all theaters want. Um, what do you think theater in general needs to do to attract more young people to their productions besides lowering the prices? That's a great question. Go for it, David. That's, <laughs> you know yeah, how I feel about no, that. I know it's a big question, but you must have your thoughts. No problem. And feel free to c contribute uh, that, you know, before we're done. But I feel like there are, Unfortunately, I don't know if there is one re uh, solution, specific solution. I feel like there are a bunch of options and they really should be tried. And some I know have seemed to succeed. I, I know the 30 under 30 ticket deal was something a lot of theaters were doing. And I feel like that's still a good thing. Another big thing would, I don't know how easy it is for every theater to do this, but I would say promotions on campuses or either campus newspapers, whether that's SDSU school paper, the Daily Aztec or papers, whether it's San Diego, like UCSD or USD or all the other colleges that the city has to offer. That's something maybe visits to campuses as well. I think that could really attract people too. And that's just a few different things that I can think of. And I'd also say advertising on different platforms, social media seems to be pretty helpful as well. But like I said, I feel like it kind of has to be a combination of all of that. I don't think it can just be one singular solution. Mm. Well, before you go, because we have a packed episode for you guys today. Um, David, do you think, Dixon, do you think that the ticket price in, in your like in younger audiences is really a factor that people stay away from theater? It really depends on the show. If it's something like that everyone knows about, like a Hamilton or even a, a Six, those mm -hmm. shows tend to do very well. Like I even, I've just talked to like similar people around my age and there are actually quite a few people that I talked to who saw Six and really loved it. So if it's something that's super famous, then I don't really know if it is. If it's something that people maybe aren't as aware of, then I think word of mouth is really important. So just trying to talk about the show as best as possible to get them interested could inspire them to pay money to see the show. But I do feel like it can be a little bit trickier for something that maybe isn't as familiar to an audience. I think that's a problem that theaters have with all ages. You know, people tend to gravitate toward known, known entities and new works are less well-known. Uh, they, they struggle a little to draw people so anyway, I appointed you in charge of this. So get right on that, okay? <laughs> I'll do my best. He is in marketing, so yeah. He is in marketing. 
David Dixon, yes. thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. We'll see you at the theater. Thank you. Sounds good. I'm sure I'll see you at the theater soon. I can't wait. Yeah, thank you. We're going to take a break. It's trivia time, everybody. And our first question today is, The 39 Steps is adapted from a film by Alfred Hitchcock. Which two Hitchcock films were adapted from theater plays? The answer, later in the show. But David, did you know that this commercial break is available for sponsorship? I did not know that. Well, there you go. So if any of our listeners would like to feature their company and or products, they can send us an email at info at sdcriticcircle.org with the subject line advertising in downstage. And we'll take it from there. We're back, everybody, and we have another guest joining us today. This is somebody that San Diego theater goers know very well. I know him well myself. I always enjoy seeing him, even in this setting. Phil Johnson, <laughs> co-founder of Roustabout's Theater Company, director, actor, producer, wearer of many hats. Phil, great to have you with us today. Thank you for having me. Are you guys starting a band? Is that what this is? This is a party, <laughs> a launch party for a band. Uh, You figured it out. You figured it out. (laughs) So, Phil, let's begin with um, a production that is just uh, on the verge of beginning uh, for San Diego listeners, a production of The 39 Steps, which will be at Scripps Ranch Theater. I know you're directing this. Um, This is a very popular show that's had a lot of legs since it first uh, debuted uh, over a, a decade ago. What is the what is the attraction and why is it so much fun to be involved with this show? Well, it's kind of a party. It's really it's a one big comic chase scene celebrating 30s spy movies. That's what it is. It's it's a ball. You know, it's uh, they've taken it and put a very whose line is it anyway take on the old spy movies. A little bit of nostalgia, a little bit of. Uh, um, irreverence, but it's just a ball. It, it's very much about use whatever's in front of you. It's got a lot of improv in it, but they use these kind of stock characters from 30s movies, and they just keep throwing things at them in this play. And it's it's just terrific. I've got four great comic actors, new new actors. You were talking earlier about new people, and uh, I'm an old person. But these young people, they listen to me. I, I don't know why, but they listen to me. Um, but uh, they're great. I have great four great actors, and uh, it's going to be a riot. It's really going to be great. I've put a lot of music in it. So uh, I'm really enjoying kind of making up this, uh, I'll use the word cocktail again. I used it earlier. Uh, making a cocktail of uh, great 30s uh, references and style. How do you, um, because it has improv and they're younger, it, when you, when your guys are rehearsing and stuff, is there like intimidation because it's like, oh my God, they were so funny. What am I going to do? And is there like, you know, a little bubble <laughs> again with the, me and my smoothness analogies, you know, of the rehearsal? <laughs> yes. I like to use intimidation, Alejandra. I use that. <laughs> I have a small taser with me at all times. Is that why they listen? Is that the That is why they listen. And I'm louder than them. Uh, There's a lot of things they don't know, you know, so it's a lot of 
checking on on the Google, on the interweb, you know. And uh, I do have to pull a lot of references and say, look it up. <laughs> but I think people, have, my people have done their homework. And uh, uh, I'm lucky to kind of get a couple of people who are kind of throwbacks. They're kind of old souls. So I'm lucky to have them in there because uh, they've got a lot of chops when it comes to uh, lots of characters. They're going to be the new uh, David McBeans in town. Oh my God, I'm such a fan. Such yeah. a fan. We used so, to see him more, David McBean, on stage. This yeah, is the episode do. of the Davids. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking of doing something with him this year for my company. Oh, cool. Yeah, I can't you guys talk about it. Oh, just, I can't talk about it or I'll be sued. David McBean will sue me. <laughs> hey, Phil, um, aside from 39 Steps, when I interviewed you a couple months ago before yeah. you were going to the Savoy Yard murders, you were talking about how one of the things you realized during the pandemic years, the, the darkest of the pandemic years, was how important and essential comedy is to our society. Um, and I know that you know, you've done drama as well as comedy, but comedy, I know, is your first love. Talk about that kind of catharsis mm -hmm. that comedy has, especially on stage. Yeah. Well, 39 Steps is a perfect example of that kind of thing. It's very much a catharsis. It's a big um, party and evening of enjoyment, remembering great old moments and pushing forward with it. You know, and I, I think when I was talking to you, I am very, I'm a big believer in the power of comedy to help lighten loads, lighten people's loads through difficult times. And I would say, I would say this has been a difficult time for a while, you know, and I think you guys, I'm sure I haven't watched your program before now, and I will religiously, but you, um, I'm sure have noticed that what's really pushing forward right now is comedy in the theater, in, uh, uh, in San Diego theater. So I believe in that strongly. I'm putting that out there. Um, it's, it's something that I think helps us think I can make it through. Look at them. You know, um, uh, it's uh, also, uh, I, I'm a big fan of Jewish comedy and that idea of pragmatism. Things could always get worse. Hopefully they won't get worse than right now with two, two, uh, uh, global situations and, and unrest at home. But I've always felt that comedy is something that can bring us together as well as lighten your own personal load. And uh, so that's a big, that's a big guiding factor for me in picking plays in, uh, in directing when I direct, even when I perform, <laughs> the last thing was the most outrageous thing I think I've ever done on stage. The show that we just did for our theater. But 39 Steps is going to be like that, just a ball. Mm -hmm. And you're going to be at the same uh, theater space over at Scripps Ranch? Scripps Ranch Theater, yeah. Yeah. And how would you say, because, um, again, like we've been talking, people, for reference sake, are like, oh, the Globe or the La Jolla Playhouse, right? And Scripps Ranch is, like, kind of out there. But I feel that these last couple of years, it's been really out there now. Like, people are like, oh, my God, have you guys seen, like, any – any change? I know that you have your theater company, but now that you've been there, how have you seen the, and with the comedies, have you seen a little more of traffic going up there? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Um, we, we, 
we um, our group did very well on this last show we just finished and uh, 39 steps is already selling out already. Okay. So um, here's what I noticed. Like, you know, that there's a, a shortage of theater spaces in San Diego. We've all talked about this. Um, this is our new home. We've kind of moved away from where we were before. So we're going to be at Scripps Ranch and Diversionary this year. Um, the comedy works so well in this small room. There is something about all of us being so close to them and the audacity, if, if I can use that word, of being, of doing ridiculous things five feet from people. There's something <laughs> about that that really worked. It really uh -huh. works. And I'm enjoying kind of playing with this space and seeing how it can work. Because, you know, it's an unusual room. It's like mm -hmm. a, a half circle. It's so it's what's called a thrust stage. But uh, um, I'm really enjoying playing with how I can put it right in their laps, you know, so to speak. But uh, um, yeah, I think you know, theaters always had to make do with what there is, and with the shortage of theaters, I think people are enjoying being really close to the performance. Mm -hmm. um, that's I always enjoyed that in Chicago. That's where I'm from. And uh, now I'm realizing that's a good thing. As long as you get the word out there, I think you can really make an experience people haven't had. It's like being in a comedy club, you know, a very close comedy, you know, <laughs> Louis Anderson right in your face. Although now he's, he's gone. You know. Yeah. Well, and after well, the pandemic. Yeah. So Joel, talk right. a little bit about your own company roustabouts um, and how, how that company has grown since you and your colleagues first founded it. Oh, you're Beyond so just nice. finding a place to produce, but I mean, artistically. Yeah. yeah, we started out as a company of three writers, you know, and it was about getting uh, new writing out there. And now I've kind of broadened it to, uh, I love a lot of the old stuff. I have a program at the JCC where I show the um, great old plays of the 20th century, the Jewish, Jewish American writers, Lillian Hellman, um, uh, Neil Simon, Arthur Miller, you know, and I'm really enjoying that, bringing those great plays back because a lot of those after the pandemic and what happened with uh, everything that's the awakening that happened with uh, uh, after George Floyd and what we've all gone through, some of the plays are problematic now, but some of them were put away, I think a little prematurely. You know, I think things need to be looked at and tended to, uh, you know, but... Um, I don't think we want to miss those great opportunities of the great plays that made what American theater was in the mid-century. So I like playing with old plays and turning them on their ear. You know, uh, that's I have an upcoming uh, importance of being earnest. That's going to be kind of a look at that that society in England versus um, the Real Housewives of Atlanta. Oh so my gosh. that's. <laughs> You know, that's what I love to do is take it, shake it up and make it modern and fresh. And um, of course, funny. That's my, that's my hope. It really fits, huh? <laughs> so how do you, because how do you do it when you're in a play, but you're directing the play? You, I will, to, you give directions to yourself and then you go back. How does that work? <laughs> be better, Phil. Be better. <laughs> I don't know that I'll do that again. Actually, <laughs> that was hard. Uh, I, I really enjoyed performing and producing, but 
performing and directing is, I don't know how Sean Murray does it. So I don't know that I'll do that so much. I may do like a smaller character. I'll be the guy with the broom in the corner. <laughs> but I love directing and uh, I, I'm going to be doing a lot more of that this year. So it's, that's not easy because you can't really see what's going on around you in the play. You know, and I have seen some things directed by people in the play. I've gone, no, no, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> yes. John Murray can do it. He can do it. So, well, yeah. Uh, so also, um, regarding the roustabouts, you guys also, during the pandemic, you ventured out with a, a play in, in streaming or online. That was great. It was so creative. And um, I just wanted to mention that because uh, it's important, you know, that it's not just the big ones that do all these creative things and put options out there. You're so nice about that. You wrote a really nice review about that piece about Theodore Roosevelt. Um, thank you. You know, it was important at that time. How do we connect? How do we stay connected to the audience and uh, put quality work out there? So it was very much about reinvent, re, uh, what was the word? Um, pivot. That was the word of the day. That was the word of the day, pivot. Pivot. Yeah. pivot. So we all were. And uh, I think some nice things came out of it. Uh, I don't think people are happy with that as, uh, as as a new model going forward. Uh, there was a moment when the uh, pieces streaming were stopped doing well, you know, but I think people liked having us all as the theater experience, but, you know, we're still fighting to get all of the audiences back into the theater. So people are trying everything, all kinds of new, fresh things, new, fresh voices. And you were talking about like Christian St. Croix, who is such a great, um uh san diego success story a great writer who's getting out there wonderful you know that's a great thing for san diego great artist getting out there and starting from from this from this crazy time too so one more question for you today phil uh we've asked a lot of our guests about this because it is such an important topic and that is the future of theater when yeah. it, when it is facing a challenge right now as a theater maker yourself and a long time one here in San Diego, what, what do you think, what kind of things do you think need to happen for theater to thrive? Um, you know, it, there's so, that's such a big question. And, you know, uh, as part of, um, I'm part of the group called the Theater Alliance here in San Diego, where uh, uh, artistic directors got to, sit around and talk about those exact things. But I think you, you look around what's, what's, what's going on and you've got a lot of new voices, which is excellent, new artists, which is terrific. They may need also some of that material on those people may need time to percolate. You know, they need some time to come up with the voice that, that reaches out, that connects with people. And I think throwing the baby with the bathwater is not the best thing to do. I think also staying connected to what helped shape us all, some of the great old pieces, making them fresh with an absolutely entirely diverse sense of casting, uh, entirely diverse sense of who puts it together is a way we can keep moving forward. Don't forget the old and push forward with the new. That's, that is my feeling what, what San Diego is going to need because People are still connected to the older pieces. It makes them feel comfortable. I'm coming back to the theater and then push those new voices to the front 
with readings and performances and with advertising, you know, so we want to build, we want to build kind of a new system, you know, like the studios would make uh, uh, stars or writers. We want to push those new voices and get them a following. I think that's kind of, I think it's holding on to the old while you're pushing the new. That's about as articulately uh, explained as anybody has on our podcast so far. Wouldn't you say, Alondra? Yeah, totally. It's I'm not just saying that, though. <laughs> You're inspiring me. I want to join your band. <laughs> Actually, I want to go to Alejandro's house because that, that looks like your daughter's bedroom. I want to see. I, you know that a lot of people have mentioned that. I'm like, this is my space. It's my office. But since my husband's like, you spent too much time here, my mom put like that recliner for him. So he can recline there while I'm working. Where are your Barbies, Alejandro? I know, right? Oh, they're off, like, off camera. <laughs> Alejandro, show Phil your coffee cup. I'm oh, yeah. Get out of this coffee cup. <laughs> you could take a Is bath. It's my morning Minnie? coffee cup. <laughs> Minnie Mouse? It's Minnie Mouse, yes. <laughs> That's <laughs> This was a gift, by the way. I didn't buy it. <laughs> oh, I see. Disclaiming it. <laughs> Disclaimer. It was a gift. I'm not a mini mouse. Thanks for being on downstage today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank and you so much. Away. 39 steps. 39 steps. Yeah, break Open away. Break yep. away. <laughs> Thank you. We'll take a quick break and we'll come back. And another trivia question for today's episode. Which American playwright wrote the plays A Streetcar Named Desire and A Glass Menagerie? Answer later in the show. Welcome back. Well, David, um, we've been having activity on our social media channels on the Critics Circles Facebook and Instagram. We get the them DMs and comments to... Um, talking about some specific reviews that will remain, uh, you know, Unidentified. Not exactly, uh, <laughs> where people come out and say, hey, your review was not uh, as it should have been. We're getting some classes through the social media <laughs> of how we should write about the shows that, that we see. And um, we're saying that they sometimes expect more and that we're very vanilla tutti fruity <laughs> with our writing. So I wanted to put out that out there because we do read, uh, we do discuss, right? And we do bring it uh, to the table. And the thing is that everybody has a different experience because we're all different human beings. <laughs> My experience is not going to be the same as yours. And that's why the circle is such a, you know, rich experience because we're all different people. I think that to what you're saying and what some of these people might be saying, you know, I think they expect us to be red hot or ice cold on everything that we see and not understanding. And you and I talked about this on the very first episode of this show, that most of the shows we see is a mixture of red hot and ice cold. And that as critics, we try to reflect fairly even though we are subjective, the good and the not so good of a production. And some people see that as kind of wishy-washy. Um, and I don't know how to make people understand that other than to say, you know, put yourself in the critic's shoes. 
And remember that you know we're writing about human beings in the moment, uh, and that's a different kind of privilege, I think, than being a film critic is. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say we're responsible for those people's careers, but I also think that we take into account these are a different kind of theater of you know actor behind the scenes person director making this art and they're flesh and blood right exactly and like the the film is a perfect example everybody's going to see the same thing with a film with a theater a a play maybe the actor wasn't feeling well that day maybe you know something had happened backstage you never know and even though they have to be there and give it their hundred well they're human beings. And I think that the, the critiques have to be constructive and not cutthroat. <laughs> so you have to um, do some uh, uh, constructive commentary, let's say, where it's this needs some tweaking or this would need. But, you know, if, if you go really specific, it just kind of feel it doesn't balance out the whole piece. That's that's how I feel about it. And, and to your point, they linger. Anybody can say, I didn't like something. Yeah. But I think the critic, the responsible critic, not only tells why he, she, or they didn't like it, but perhaps suggests ways, as you said, that that could be improved or smoothed over uh, rather than just, we're not writing rants, in other words. Yeah. And if we would, and if we did, David, they'll be like, why are you so ranty? (laughs) Give these people some grace. (laughs) So bad if you do, bad if you don't. A former colleague of mine at the San Diego Union Tribune, George Varga, their music critic, who's still there. Hello, George. Hi, George you. told me once if he had a dollar for every email or letter he got from a reader who says, you obviously were at a different show than I was at. Oh, my God. The favorite. He'd be a rich right? man. Because I, I get that, too, as a theater writer. They, they, don't, they don't understand that we all see things a little different, whether you're a critic or not. Mm-hmm. True. So Alejandra, the- related, related to this. An article was floated recently uh, and went viral about the theater critics, quote, responsibility to and for the survival of theaters and theater people. And I saw, you know, opinions all over the map from not just critics, but from the general public. What is your take on this? To what degree are we, do we bear some you know, responsibility to and, you know, fealty for these theater companies. Oh, again, don't get me started. I'm like, started. <laughs> you know that I always say it's a cool responsibility and I really pin a huge responsibility to the audiences because that's, I think, <laughs> that's how it should be, right? They're the ones that, that are consuming the product. But um, mm, the the reviews itself is also like i said in previous segments with the generational gap going on right now like you asked that question who reads reviews right it's a very inside baseball dynamic and i feel like the older demographic is the one that goes and reads and and spends the time invests the time in reading reviews and theaters want younger audiences that are not really reading <laughs> that much again in a very general aspect you know for the sake of the uh example it is we have as critics obviously a responsibility to go see the shows and write about them that's 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 our job but that's it (laughs) 
if you bring, if you don't bring, if you sell, if you don't sell, that's not up to us. If I don't come up with a catchy phrase on my review for you to market that and put it on your, you know, your card uh, that you're going to send out to your mailer. I mean, it's it's not necessarily my responsibility. You know what I mean? Like for me, it's just to put out what happened, make it as informative also, like David Dixon was saying, so people can get to know it and be like, oh, okay, that helps me uh, make a decision because people are going to go regardless if it's something that is interesting and appealing to them. Regardless well, see, of the readers always tell you in the house our best reviews are you, meaning exactly, and, and I think that's how it should be. Yeah, I'll let you yeah. in on a little inside side thing. I guess I'm telling the world now. <laughs> I try not to write blurby. So blurby, that, love it. So that theaters that cannot find something in my review. That, I mean, they try anyway. Yeah. I really don't. Blurby. I'm not conscious of you know not writing blurby. But, you know, if something is, is blurb worthy and it comes out, great. But I don't feel in my heart that it's my responsibility to sell tickets. I really don't. You know? No, not at all. And um, I don't know how you feel, but I have a lot of friends, and it's, and it's funny to me, that don't go to the theater that often, but do read reviews <laughs> when they're trying to, to go see a show because, uh, again, there's this um, conflict with price versus shows. For me, it's not, you know, if I want to go, I'll go regardless. But um, they read the reviews and they stay away from the show if it has a bad review. And then they come to me and say, Alejandro, the reviews were not good. I'm like, if those reviews are bad, I'm going to go and see that show. You know, because again, we're all different people. So I'm not going to stay away or take it as a warning if people tell me if our review says that it's bad, you know? Well, I do think there's a difference between film, uh, the dynamic with film as opposed to theater because you know, with film, some people will go if the review is bad just to see, prove that a critic was wrong. You know, mm -hmm. I don't think people are as inclined to do that with theater because it is a bigger financial investment by and large than, than going to the movies is. Um, that, but it's that's expensive, David, going to the movies. It's so expensive. <laughs> I think it costs, we went to the movies a couple of weeks ago. I think it was 32 bucks. I'm telling you. Yeah, that was before we bought anything inside <laughs> that's what i was gonna say and everything then inside you know soda ten dollars <laughs> like it's expensive to go over there well we'll work this out one way or the other in coming episodes uh, as this one comes to a close uh we want to thank our guest today david dixon of the theater Grape circle and phil johnson director actor man of many hats for being with us today and Alejandra it's always great to see you great to see you too and uh, thank you to Susan Clausen who helped us um coordinate this interview with Phil and yes I'll see you well, at the theater yeah we'll see you at the theater bye everybody bye. and now the answer to our trivia question which two Hitchcock films were adapted from theater plays the answer is rope which was written as a play by Patrick Hamilton, and Dial M for Murder, which was written by playwright Frederick Knott. And the answer to the trivia question, which American playwright wrote the plays A Streetcar Named Desire and The Glass Menagerie, is Tennessee Williams. 
He is known for his influential contributions to American theater with plays like A Street Car Named Desire and The Glass Menagerie. Another one that I would like that they, you know, produce here. <laughs> Downstage is a production of the San Diego Theater Critics Circle. Co-hosts David Cotton and Alejandra Enciso Nardashti.